Welcome to Babel Undone, a podcast created by Premier in partnership with Archbishop Joseph D'Souza and the Good Shepherd Church of India. Bishop D'Souza is a renowned Christian intellectual and civil rights activist from India who leads the Good Shepherd Movement and the All India Christian Council. And I'm Johnny Moore, an American evangelical who serves as the president of the Congress of Christian Leaders and JDA Worldwide. We live in an interconnected world where the questions are complex. So on every episode of Babel Undone, Bishop D'Souza and I aim to bring the global church together in conversation about an important issue facing everyone. And we do it from different perspectives. Bishop comes from the East and I come from the West. So naturally, we meet in London. So uh, Bishop D'Souza, what are we speaking about today? A very important issue with a very important person. Humans being made in the image of God has completely changed my approach to life for 25 years because of the struggle for Dalit freedom and dignity and everything else. And I believe it is a lost truth for the Christian church because we have tended to get focused and our forensic view of salvation and the right. And I'm glad that Carmen Imes decided to probe into the study, work on this, and has now written a couple of books and becoming well-known and helping us recover what it means to be born in the image of God. And she is, uh, she's, she's a remarkable uh, uh, teacher, uh, Dr. Carmen Joy Imes. Uh, she's at Biola University. And before that, she was at uh, Prairie College uh, in, in Canada, uh, her, her her first book was called Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. Her latest book on the subject of today's conversation is called Being God's Image, Why Creation Still Matters. And she joins us now from Southern California. Welcome, Dr. Imes. So uh, the audience for for this, this conversation is diverse. It's mm-hmm. global. Uh, Bishop D'Souza and I are familiar with your with your work, but... Not everyone will be, you know, the, the mm-hmm. lay person sitting in Europe or South America or, or sure. e- even some of the Christian leaders or professors. And so we, we always yeah. like to ask a very simple, entirely subjective question to begin the conversation. Mm-hmm. And here's what it is. Who is Carmen Imes? Hmm. Your, your question is going to cause an existential crisis. <laughs> exactly the point. <laughs> How do I answer that question? Uh I am a follower of Jesus. I grew up in the United States in a Christian home and had the privilege of growing up knowing Jesus. And I was captivated by the story of the gospel at a young age and really captivated by the scriptures. And um, that drove me to attend Bible college. I felt a call to missions at a young age, maybe eight years old was the first, first exposure that I had to this idea that God might be calling me to be a missionary. Then when I was 12, a really clear confirmation that God was calling me to the nations. And so I I headed off to Bible college, uh, hoping to become a Bible translator, and met and married my husband, Daniel, and we moved to the Philippines as missionaries with SIM, uh, reaching out to Muslim minorities in the Philippines. And then uh, we weren't there very long, just about two and a half years, when God uh, directed us back to the U.S., Uh, where my husband worked out of our international headquarters. And I began pursuing a master's in biblical studies that 
turned into a PhD uh, from Wheaton College. And so today I'm professor of Old Testament at, at uh, Biola University in Southern California after four years at Prairie College in Alberta, Canada. So we've lived in the Philippines. We've lived in Canada. Uh, I absolutely love the global church, and it's a joy to talk with you and your listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Carmen. Carmen, walk, uh, walk with us uh, on your latest book, Being God's Image. Mm-hmm. Why is that such a critical pillar of our faith mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. modern Christians need to understand? Yes, I think that um, there's been a widespread misunderstanding of what Christianity teaches And I don't know how deeply rooted this misunderstanding is globally, but I know that in the U.S. it's uh, deeply rooted, this sort of disembodied way of thinking about faith that um, that God is concerned for my soul, the immaterial part of myself, and that um, I'm going to go, if I trust in Jesus, I'll go to heaven when I die. And we picture heaven as being a disembodied place where we float around on the clouds and when I, as I read the scriptures, I have become convinced that actually our bodies are very important. They're central to our identity, and they're central to who God made us to be and the vocation he's given us in the world. So part of what I want to do is help Christians rediscover the value of embodiment, uh, that God creates all people as his image, endowed with dignity and worth, not because of not because of what we do, what we produce, but just because we're made by God. And he appoints us on earth to represent him uh, to the rest of creation. So we're like three-dimensional representatives of God's presence on earth. Whether, Whether someone is a believer in Jesus or not, they are they are participating, uh, unbeknownst to them, in this great project of pointing to the Creator. And the whole biblical story, it's so, it's so foundational that we see that every human being is the image of God, that the image has not been lost or damaged or destroyed, but that it's still true of every human being. And, and as I look ahead to the end of, of the New Testament, and as it points into the future, I see not, not a, a moment where we escape our bodies and are reunited to the Lord, but we see Jesus coming in the flesh. We see him, we see his resurrected body and his ascension in his human body to the right hand of God. And, and he points forward to the resurrection of all believers. And so that we would live together in the new creation, again, embodied and carrying out the vocation that God has given us to steward creation, to collaborate with one another. Uh, it's so important that we understand uh, how our our value and our dignity is grounded in the created work of God. Uh, Carmen, you uh, you have touched on something very important there, and that's there in your book too. I think a very important point that you mentioned that the fall did not take away the fact that all humans are made in his image. Right. And sin did not take away that fact, whereas I think a lot of Christians are not clear on this. Yes. And, and then we go and communicate what is not clear to the rest of the mm-hmm. world, and people then misunderstand what mm-hmm. the Creator is doing with us. And, and the second yeah. thing, of course, you know, I live in a country with, majority Hindus, India, mm-hmm. and 200 million Muslims. All of the mm-hmm. main faiths of the world are there. 
And I have to contend on a daily basis with 1.4 mm-hmm. billion people who are made in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And the religions and faiths they have created mm-hmm. because they're made in the image of God. Mm. Because if you're created in the image of God, an embodied body created the way God is, you're going to be seeking mm. a connection back to the Creator in whatever mm-hmm. way you can. Yes. And so so your book is of immense importance and your thinking is of very imp- importance and it, it impacts a lot of stuff. And I've seen you talk about this, man-woman mm. relationships. Mm. Human man and the environment, mm-hmm. and then of course, as you said, a re-understanding of what heaven is. Go- what is heaven, right? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. is our final solution to uh, salvation like? Yeah. And if our yeah. final salvation is about God restoring us to our first glory, who would not mm-hmm. want that? I, I'm getting mm-hmm. very upset here, though. I was really looking forward to my harp. The only thing I wanted was the harp. I wanted to be there with the harp <laughs> and the angels. And, <laughs> but it, it's, um, but Carmen, I, I think you you seem in your work to um, to have an appreciation for the Old Testament, um, mm-hmm. the Hebrew Bible, uh, as as it was before we we called it the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, that it seems like a lot of Christians. Um, seem to miss we we sort of are fixated on the on the on the new testament and yet there's just so much there and i I could say in my own Mm -hmm. personal life um studying the um the old testament as the hebrew bible um Mm -hmm. you know has really really transformed my own my own personal personal experience how how Mm -hmm. does your view of of the image of god and your work on this subject you know how how did it come from that part of your theological experience hmm yeah. Oh, so many, so many fun threads we could chase here. Um, I I grew up in a context where the Old Testament was highly valued, and and there were was a lot of teaching from the Old Testament more than in in most churches today. And so I th- I think that began to light my fire for it um, already as a young person. I loved the Old Testament, and I when I came to the decision of where should I focus, should it be Old or New Testament? I just realized that the church at large. Uh, has a lot of resources on the New Testament, but not so many on the Old Testament. And that's the place where it, it seems to me that Christians need the most help in in kind of unraveling and understanding the cultural gap that is exists between us and the biblical text. And so there's a number of things that, um, you know, discoveries along the way that have been helpful. Um, Bishop D'Souza just uh, brought up the the question of the fall and whether whether we've lost the image and it's so true that lots of pastors and writers and thought leaders have talked about the image of god as if it's been lost and so i just want to um point listeners to uh, genesis chapter 9 which is after the fall and after the flood noah comes off the ark and god gives him instructions uh, in, in regarding the proper treatment, ethical treatment of other human beings. And he says to Noah, um, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed for humans are the image of God. And so this is after the fall and after the flood, God is still basing ethical treatment of, of each other as on the basis of 
of our status as God's image. So apparently it hasn't been lost. The Bible never says it's been lost. Obviously something bad happens in Genesis 3. And there's a there's an estrangement between God and humanity. And that's that's how I see it, not as the loss of the image, but as an estrangement in the relationship that humans have with God and with each other. One other thing I, I'd want to throw out there, um, because I think it would especially be helpful um, thinking of it, the, the context in India where there's so much idolatry, uh, people might be surprised to hear that the word for image in Genesis 126 is actually the same as the word for idol. So when God is making creation, it's like he's setting up creation as a cosmic temple, except that he, unlike other temples, he doesn't want there to be a a a stone or gold or wood statue of himself in that temple instead of instead of having an image made by humans he makes humans to be his image so he installs us in his created world as the idols we are idols and and god says not to make idols of him because he's already made us to be uh, the ones who represent his presence and deflect worship to him and so when when we turn to idols and worship those idols made by humans, we are not only diminishing who God is by trying to capture him in the form of a, of an earthly object, but we are diminishing ourselves because we've been appointed to that position of representing God. And if we if we worship idols, we're giving away our God-given position to something that is not God. And uh, and not appointed by God to that. So I think that's one of the things that I hope p- people will take and think about, Juan. Um, we've been given such an exalted position in God's economy, um, and yet there's a cap on it. We're, we are the image of God, which is exalted, but we're not God. We're just the image of God. So we that keeps us from becoming too arrogant. And, it, and if we really recognize this, we can begin to see every other human being as a co-collaborator in this project of representing God. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, you're you're a professor uh, at a at a university, uh, Biola mm-hmm. University, which I happen to be mm-hmm. quite quite fond of. I think it's one of the mm. one of the great schools in history. Mm. Um, that also means that you work with uh, with students, and I do. you know, understanding. Um, one one's identity uh, and mm. and how that relates to the image of God it's it's uh, it's a it's something we carry with us in our entire life but it seems like uh, yeah. um, this period of life uh, with these students that you teach um, mm-hmm. you know every every single day it's uh, it's almost more important during this um, uh, during this season of life so you sometimes in college your identity is either solidified or it's disrupted or it's confused mm-hmm. or all of these things yeah. so f- for listeners who um, you know who are students uh, mm-hmm. uh, who or who are early on in their life as they're trying to sort through all these things and all this crazy weird chaotic world we're living in um, yeah. right right now. Um, what what advice do you do you give them uh, when you're mm-hmm. when everyone's asking, well, who am I and why do I matter and all mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. and and you say, oh, you're made in the image of God, and then they say, mm-hmm. as cynical students do, okay, but what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see a lot of anxiety among students to figure out the right major uh, because they know that their major will lead to a particular career path. And there's a lot of pressure to to find the perfect fit 
in terms of career. And there's so much societal pressure even outside the college scene to define yourself or to to self to self-express. And the world tends to tell us to look inward to find out who we are, to define ourselves by our desires. And, you know, what do you want? That tells me who you are. And although desire is an important thing for us to pay attention to, I think the doctrine of the image of God flips this whole thing upside down and says, we don't look inward to find out who we are. We look upward. We look to the God who made us because he's the one who gave us our identity and who and who appointed us to this position in the world that he made. And so that, I think, relieves a lot of pressure to figure out all on my own who I am and what I'm going to be about. Instead, I I need to focus on being attentive to what the Spirit says and for what God says through his word about who I am and what I'm here to do. So I, I often tell students who are concerned about what to major in or finding the right career that it matters much less what you do and matters much more how you do it. That is, all of our work can be done to the glory of God. And most people in today's world will change careers or change jobs multiple times over the course of their life. So it's less important to me that a student knows exactly what they want to do. I mean, I already mentioned that I felt called to missions. I thought I would be in the Amazon jungle somewhere translating the Bible for, for a tribal group that didn't have their language written down yet. That's That was my plan. And here I am instead in Southern California, uh, teaching uh, students from around the world in my classroom. This is not what I expected to be doing, but it is an absolutely life-giving thing to be, to, to have experienced God leading me here and to have been responsive to that. And so I don't think we need to come up with uh, the exact destination because we don't know the destination. We need to remain attentive to God's direction uh, throughout our life and recognize he's not expecting us to create our identity, but to receive it from him. Yeah, yeah. And you're not any less missional because mm. you're in Biola. Mm, uh, this mm-hmm. is your vocation. You know, changing yeah. this language is very important, Carmen, because this language mm. of are you a missionary or not has caused more confusion out there. Mm-hmm. And putting somehow the missionary vocation, vocation is the highest yeah. one yeah. can aspire to rather than being in business, communication, teaching, but carrying out your vocation from from the creator. Carmen, yeah. uh, we are fascinated by the fact that you have your weekly Torah Tuesday videos. <laughs> what prompted you yeah. to do that series? Yeah, so uh, just after the pandemic started, um, I had I released my first book with InterVarsity Press right before the pandemic. It's called Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters. And in that book, I argue that every every Christian is part of the covenant people of God and is therefore on mission to represent God in the world. So what you've just said about about um, the the separation between missionaries and non-missionaries needs to go away because all of us bear God's name. I had just released the book. There were a bunch of speaking engagements on the calendar, and then the pandemic hit, and I had all this free time. And I had begun work on a commentary on the book of Exodus for Baker Academic, and 
I thought, I am learning really cool things as I'm studying Exodus. And it's such a shame that it's going to be something like five or six years before anyone can see these insights, because that's how long it will take to write the commentary and publish it. I want to share things with, I want to share this with people right now. And I have time because it's the pandemic and everything shut down. So I just started recording these uh, videos right in my office talking about what I was learning. And so um, for most of the time since then, I've been releasing, I, I took a break when I came to Biola when we were moving, but, and, and I've taken a couple of holiday breaks, but otherwise every Tuesday, a video comes out called Torah Tuesday. Uh, that just it, right now I'm walking through the book of Exodus and we're in chapter 13 talking about wordplay and Hebrew and historical cultural backgrounds and whatever nerdy things I think people might want to hear about. Excellent. Johnny? So I, I, I want to, I'll go back to the image of, of God for just a second. And um, mm-hmm. I, I just want to ask also, like, where do people get this wrong too? Like, mm-hmm. uh, because, mm-hmm. it, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I hear this a, a lot. I, I agree with everything you've said. Like, it, you know, this is a, uh, I'm always saying, I, I think in every public speech I've ever said, you know, we're made in the image of God. This is a, a huge part of my own human rights work and advocacy and mm-hmm. all around the world. Um, yeah. Uh, but, but like with everything, we can get things, we can get things wrong and have unintended consequences yeah. or have these little, like, sort of subtle heresies, you know, that, yeah. that, that's, yep. that seep in. So, um, so what are the, what are the, what are the warnings, you know, what are the mm-hmm. pitfalls, the, you know, so we got to put some guardrails in place. Sure. There's a long tradition in Christian uh, theology of thinking of the image of God as a human capacity uh, or a human function rather than human identity. And this might seem like splitting hairs, uh, but I actually think it's the kind of thing where, like, if you are shooting off a rocket and you want to land on the moon, you're, you're shooting off a space shuttle, you want to land on the moon, the, the degree, like, your your aim needs to be very precise. If you're one degree off, you're not going to land on the moon. And so I think this is this one degree of difference at the beginning that has tremendous consequences on the on the um, it, for our, in our life and practice. And if if we connect the image of God to human capacity, say uh, a real popular one has been rationality. Humans are more rational than animals, so people will then attach image of God to this rationality. Um, that's a problem because I don't know if you've noticed, but when a baby is born. They are not very rational yet. And if someone is... They're also with, sinners, by the way. <laughs> they're also sinners, yes. Um, they, and when, when someone experiences either uh, are born with an intellectual disability or have some kind of injury or illness that reduces their rational capacity later in life, think of someone in their, in their later years who develops dementia. If we attach image of God to the capacity of intellect, then we end up with a a gradation or a sliding scale of humans who are more the image of God and humans who are less the image of God based on their IQ or their rationality. And this, I think, is really important um, that that, that we address and correct that misinterpretation. The Bible never connects the Imago Dei to human capacity. It says that every human being is the image of God, full stop. And so uh, we don't have people who are more the image of God or less. Um, that's that's one of the things that I think is most concerning about the history of this and um, this idea. 
because of all of the implications for ethics, we end up with, uh, and again, I don't know how this is in India or other places, but in the United States, our church buildings are some of the least accessible to those with physical disabilities because Christians have led the way in fighting against legislation for accessibility. So we're less likely to have wheelchair ramps and elevators or uh, large print or, you know, closed captioning. Like these are the, these are the things uh, Christians have fought not to have to do. But if we took seriously the Bible's teaching that every human being is the image of God, that everyone possesses equal dignity, and that God designed us for collaboration, that this is not a a one-man show or a one-woman show. When God made them, he made them male and female and told them that they would rule over creation. And it's so striking to me that in Genesis 1 and 2, there's no language that indicates any human is supposed to rule over any other human. Rather, they're to to collaborate together to do uh, God's work in the world, to carry on his creative work, to maintain order. So I just think it's so important that we get it right, that we understand every human being is the image of God. It's our identity. That identity then flows into our vocation, but the vocation does not equal the image of God, because if you are physically or mentally incapacitated in some way, you have not lost your status as God's image. Wow, I I uh, I, I should re-enroll at Biola. <laughs> it's a, it's a take uh, Carvin, this has been this has been extraordinary. You've helped us um, uh, put a theology around a sentiment that I think a lot of us mm. a lot of us feel, and you've you know, you've taken us back to the. Um, uh, the the beauty of the rest of the Bible, uh, which we mm. we seem to sometimes neglect it, and so this conversation has been a blessing to me. It's been a blessing to you, you Bishop, and uh, we th- we thank you for joining us. Yes, thanks thanks um, for having me. Blessings yeah. on your work, um, <laughs> Bishop. I love that conversation with Dr. Imes. I mean, she um, talks so effortlessly about what it actually means to be made in the in the image of God and how that applies to our life. It's uh, as I as I said when we were when we were talking to her, I, I always say this phrase, and I you know it's it's like literally in every speech, half the things I write. Uh, but there were several things that she she said there about how we view other people, um, how we live our lives. I loved that she sort of reminded us um, that the image of God didn't go away with the fall. <laughs> And um, the, the, it was a it was a, a deep conversation, a theologically anchored conversation, and uh, I, I'm a bit partial in this respect. But I but I loved uh, that uh, so much of it had to do with the Old Testament. Yeah, and you know, uh, the young people of today, everywhere, even Christians, right, are asking such fundamental and deep questions, and they're looking for a spiritual faith and understanding that deals with physical reality, human reality, and what it means to be human in our age, all over, across faiths. And um, Carmen, when she said, God has, has embodied us and our future also is an embodiment in the resurrection. The coming kingdom is an embodiment. So she raises phenomenally the dignity of the human body, the human person, body, mind, soul, uh, 
and sees the image of God in a new way. I feel, though we didn't come, maybe next time or some other time, the implications of what she says has have to be still worked out in many areas. Environment, creation, euthanasia, abortion. And was it just a hairy-brady idea God had, I'm going to create a new cre creation, a new person, and they're going to be embodied with flesh and blood. No, God had given tremendous amount of thought to this. And look, I mean, those of us who are living at this time, and we know the science of the body and the brain, to even think that our brain has as many billions of cells as we are their stars. How, how does that work out? And I think we have to lose, uh, we cannot afford to lose the wonder of being an embodied person. Uh, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start watching her Torah Tuesdays. I, I think that's that's they're probably very fascinating. But what I love too about this conversation uh, is how theologically anchored it was. Because very often when we're talking about being made in the image of God, it sort of drifts off into theological uh, no man's land. Um, but she she knows the Bible. She's a scholar of the Bible. She's anchored in, in one of the great universities, one of the great Christian universities. And it was uh, it was great. It was great all around. Glad we had the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today for Babel Undone. If this conversation had you thinking, then why don't you share it with someone else? For more episodes of Babel Undone or other amazing content that helps Christians live out their faith, you should head over to premiere.plus. That's premiere, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, uh, for the Americans listening in, dot plus. <laughs>